This is an RNZ podcast. Well, what a slap in the face to hard-working Kiwi taxpayers to pay tax only for that to be given to people around the world who haven't been in New Zealand paying tax for many years in some cases. That's Nationals Deputy Leader Nicola Willis on Monday morning, launching the first salvo in what ended up a week-long assault on the government's cost-of-living payment. At the same time, Stuff was running a story about overseas Kiwis who had been offered the payment incorrectly, including a scientist living in Salt Lake City and a chemical salesman who had been in Switzerland since 2004. The prospect of non-residents getting money from our government was met with rising anger among our cohort of media commentators. Over at Today FM, Rachel Smalley argued the payments showed Labour is unfit to lead. What a screw-up. This could be the defining moment in Labour's leadership. It should be. It is inept. It is irresponsible. It is chaotic. It is economically and fiscally reckless. At today's talk, radio rival News Talk ZB hosts Nick Mills and Heather Duplessis-Allen blasted the payments on their panel show, The Huddle. Nick, how do you feel about the cost of living payment going over to temporary migrants who've returned to Australia, India, wherever they came from? It absolutely blows my mind. I think that why didn't they let the employers actually do it, make the payment through the companies? That would have been a better way. Why didn't they give food vouchers out? That would have helped inflation. There's a whole lot of different ways they could, could have given us it. a tax no, break. They... Some government ministers didn't exactly help ease the tensions. Today FM's morning host Tova O'Brien was aghast as Revenue Minister David Parker accused ineligible people who had been offered the payment of criminal misdeeds. The Frenchman, as your example, he will know or should know from the information that he has received that because he is no longer resident in New Zealand, he's not qualified. Therefore, for him to get the payment, he would have to be acting fraudulently. It is possible that he could get it. You're putting this on him. He's the one that got the email. He didn't want this. He's the one that got the email from IRD saying, you're eligible, this is your bank account, we're going to give you some free money. The pressure on the Prime Minister and her senior politicians kept ramping up. After the stories about how the payment had gone to too many people came another round of stories about how it had gone to too few, with the IRD confirming roughly 800,000 eligible people hadn't received the cash when they were meant to. National leader Christopher Luxon turned up to his media appointments on Wednesday morning with a pre-packaged zinger ready to go. Here he is on Morning Report. Yeah, I just think you know, the government's become a political version of the office, to be brutally honest with you, and getting things done. Here he is on Today FM. Well, I mean, I mean to be honest, Tover, it's becoming the political version of the office, isn't it? And here he is on the AM show. Oh, I mean, the whole thing is an utter, utter shambles and a total, total joke, Brian. I mean, you literally can't make this stuff up. It's become the political version of the office, I think, to be honest. Repeating the same joke three times on different platforms is a bit like something David Brent would do on the UK version of the TV show The Office. Still, in a slot on RNZ's 9 to Noon, Business Desk founder Patrick Smelly argued the criticism is likely to stick. If you say we're giving $350 to goodness knows how many people overseas, and that's the biggest problem for the government is that the IRD doesn't know the answer to that question, inevitably that's political poison. It just looks incompetent. It doesn't really matter whether it's 20 people or 25,000. Smelly called the story political poison, and his point is pretty compelling. It's not ideal for a government to look at once profligate with its spending and unable to direct that spending accurately.
But the true political impact of this scandal also rests on the underlying assumption that most New Zealanders will begrudge their former compatriots a few hundred bucks during a global inflation crisis, and that's not been proven despite much of the media taking it as a given. On Scoop, left-leaning commentator Gordon Campbell argued the benefits of a universal scheme outweigh the downsides of some misdirected dollars. He said many of the New Zealanders living abroad who got the payout were paying off student loans or otherwise doing it tough. Any of the New Zealanders resident overseas could use any assistance that helps them meet the various costs of living wherever they are. Others noted that New Zealanders abroad are hardly the only ones who have been lavished with arguably unneeded taxpayer cash in recent times. Last week, financial journalist Bernard Hickey took aim at the companies that have taken large sums in COVID wage subsidies only to post large profit without repaying the taxpayers who helped underwrite their gains. One of the companies Hickey specifically targeted is the owner of the Herald and Newstalk ZB, NZME, which laid off 200 workers in 2020, took in $8.6 million in wage subsidy cash, then later posted successive profits. Despite that, it isn't opting to pay back what it took in taxpayer support and is in the process of paying out its shareholders $15 million in dividends and share buybacks. It's hardly alone in that approach. Fletcher Building, for instance, took $68 million in COVID support ostensibly to retain workers, then laid off 1,000 of them and announced a $227 million profit four months later. It hasn't paid back its wage subsidy either. Though the outcry over these taxpayer-backed corporate windfalls has been muted in comparison, they make the estimated $7.5 million in wrongful cost-of-living payments look like a rounding error. Perhaps the more compelling criticism of the cost-of-living package came from people less concerned that the government has paid people who don't need it and more concerned that it has failed to pay those who really do. On Morning Report, the Salvation Army's Peter Barber pointed out that beneficiaries were ineligible for the payment despite struggling the most with high rents and spiralling food prices. Yeah, well, we've said right from the start that we're disappointed that um, this additional payment um, was not didn't also go to the 345,000 people who are uh, reliant on welfare, who have the lowest incomes. Um, They're just as hard hit by the cost pressures and, and greater need in many ways. He had a possibly surprising ally in a former Minister of Social Development for National. Paula Bennett, who once announced a welfare crackdown on solo parents by informing them that the dream is over, told NewsHub that beneficiaries should have been the first in line for the cost of living payment. And I do. I feel like I'm in a really, really privileged day. And then you think about how other people on such limited incomes will be struggling so much more than you are. And, yeah, quite frankly, my personal opinion is um, if anyone kind of needs a temporary payment at the moment for those exorbitant costs. It is those on a benefit. Bennett isn't the only person using her media platform to home in on the often dire realities facing the poorest New Zealanders amid the cost of living crisis. On last Sunday's episode of TVNZ's Q&A, host Jack Tame grilled Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern over the government's record on reducing child poverty, which children's charity Kids Can says is worse than ever. You will still hear me talk about New Zealand as a place that should be free of child poverty. Absolutely. Because anything less, in my mind, anything less demonstrates that we don't believe that things can and need to improve. Absolutely. An A for, a, an, an a for aspiration, an E for if execution. I may, if I may, then.
That E for execution line echoes the findings of a special investigation into child poverty from TVNZ's chief correspondent John Campbell in May this year. It criticised the government for failing to fully implement any of the 42 findings of its Welfare Expert Advisory Group from 2019. National has also hammered the government over its record on poverty, with housing spokesperson Chris Bishop pointing out this week that the number of people recorded as living in cars has quadrupled to 480 since Labour took power. However, National's biggest policy to address cost-of-living pressures, a tax package which gives more to the rich than the poor, was the subject of confusion this week as it appeared to be dropped amid criticism from the left and right before being resurrected within a day. In the end, despite the week's headlines, the more enduring point of attack for our media may not be our politicians' accidental generosity, but rather their more deliberate stinginess.